0: Today, we're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where we left off last week. And today, we're going to look at a test. A test. Test yourselves. I I share with the last service, I'm so glad I'm not in school anymore. Don't have to take tests anymore. I remember when I was in seminary, uh, my first quarter of seminary, my first uh, initiation in seminary was 12 graduate credits of uh, Greek and we, we had to learn Keone New Testament Greek in 10 weeks. And we did Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we had Monday from 8 till uh, 1 o'clock, every Wednesday, 8 till 1 o'clock, Friday, 8 till 1 o'clock to learn this New Testament Greek. And every single stinking time we'd meet together, our, our Greek professor would do pop quizzes, pop tests. And I, I just, there's a reason why they say this is all Greek to me. It's a difficult language. And I remember taking that and you know, just every, the stress of those tests, pop tests, every single time we got together on these Greek words and Greek language and parsing and verbs and all that stuff. It's like, it was like, welcome to seminary. And then I remember too, sometimes even several decades after being in school, I don't know if I'm the only one that deals with it, but several decades after being in school, I still have nightmares sometimes that I've slept through a final. And I wake up like this, and I'm in my 40s, and I'm going, I slept through a final. I'm in college. No, you're not, John. You just had a nightmare. But tests, tests. I'm so glad I'm not in school anymore taking tests. I tell you what. But today we're going to talk about, the name of my message is examine or test yourself. Examine or test yourself. It's from the verse in chapter 13 that we'll be looking at, verse 5, when it says this. Chapter 5, Paul speaking or writing says, Test yourselves to see that if you're in the faith, Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is not in you unless, indeed, you fail the test. 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 We're going to test ourselves today. And Paul's going to give us a number of factors that will test whether you really are even a Christian or not. And it's it's challenging, it's challenging, but it's good. Bible is very clear, we're to, we're to examine ourselves, we're to test ourselves, especially in this area of whether we have an authentic, real relationship with Jesus Christ and a saving faith in Jesus Christ. David put it this way about testing ourselves. He said in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Paul also told us, even before we go to the communion table, we're to test ourselves. We're to examine ourselves. Remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, Paul said this, but a man must examine himself, or it could be translated, test himself, and in so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Test, test, test. It's good to test ourselves. It really is. You know, um, I think it's really important where we live to examine ourselves in this area are we do we really have a real relationship with jesus christ because you know why because we live in a bible belt and it's a cultural thing i call it churchianity seems like everybody and their brother all goes to church around here right and the question is you know you go to church but the question is do you really have a relationship with jesus christ or not you know when i lived in california i lived in southern california for 10 years And in Southern California, the lines aren't blurry like they are here. Because a lot of people, it's blurry here. A lot of people here in the South go to church every Sunday, but they don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Out in Southern California, we live in Southern California, it's 80% of the culture never goes to church at all. And what you see out there is more black and white. Either either you're a Bible-believing, born-again Christian, or you're a pagan. It's the left coast, right? And that's just the culture out there. Here, it's a little different. A lot of people go to church on Sunday, but they don't have a relationship with Christ the rest of the week. And so I think this thing of examining ourselves is a good thing. And that's, by the way, that's one reason why on a regular basis here at Calvary Chapel, we're going to preach the gospel because every time it seems like we preach the gospel at the end of a message and give people an opportunity to get saved and receive Christ and start a real relationship with Jesus Christ, people raise their hand and they receive Christ. Because not, not everybody going to church is a desolated Christian. Keith Green, one of my favorite musicians back in the day, he used to do his concerts, and what he's, he would traditionally say during his concerts, hey, hey, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's true, right? It's true. So we're going to see today, test, test. How can we test ourselves? How can we examine ourselves to see if we're really Christians or not? Interesting in this chapter too, Paul's turning the tables, because up until this point, in Corinthians, the last several chapters even, what Paul's been doing is he has been under the microscope and the examination of the Corinthians, and he's been defending his apostleship because they're examining him and testing him. And many people, the false teachers that were in the church in Corinth, were saying, Paul doesn't pass the tests. Paul's not a real apostle. Paul didn't spend three years in public ministry with Jesus. He's just pretending to be apostle. So he's had to defend himself. Now Paul's going to turn the tables. He's you going know, say, "Hey, you've been examining me. Let me examine you, Corinthians." So, with that context in mind, let's start Second Corinthians chapter twelve, where we left off, verse fourteen. It says, "Here for this third time, I'm ready to come to you." Paul says, "For the third time, I'm ready to visit you, and I will not be a burden to you. For don't seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents." but parents for their children. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying in the section, he's saying, hey, when I came to you, I didn't expect you to provide for me. I did my tent making business in Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla, and I took care of my own needs because I'm your spiritual papa, and I didn't expect you to take care of me at all. Hey, by the way, if you're a dad, you know what I'm talking about here, right? Or you know what Paul's talking about here, right? It seems like even when your kids grow up, who pays for dinner? My two oldest boys make a May, they make more money than me salary wise. Already, they're making more money in their salary than I make in my salary. But when 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 they go out to dinner with Pop Pop with their spouses, guess who's paying? Pop Pop, because I'm Pop Pop. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm your spiritual papa. I didn't expect anything from you. I'm going to take care of my own needs. I didn't expect any kind of provision from you. Verse 18, or verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But be it as it may. I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Paul's being sarcastic there because some of the people against him were saying Paul was deceitfully calling himself an apostle. And Paul saying, yeah, I took you in deceit. Right. Verse 17. Certainly, I've not taken advantage of you through in, th- though through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All this time, you've been thinking that we're defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Now look at Paul's turn the tables now, verse 20. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps will be strife, look at this, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances, I'm afraid that when I come, again, my God may humiliate me before you and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. See Paul turning the tables sir? He said, you've been examining me. But when I come to you, I'm afraid some of you are going to need to be examined by me. And remember, that we learned from 1 Corinthians, there was some people that were really a mess in Corinth. There was brothers and sisters in that church in Corinth that were suing each other there was, there was people that were so lost that they were going to the communion table and they were getting drunk at their agape feast. They were getting drunk before they partake of communion. Paul said, some of you are weak and have even died because of you're going to the communion table drunk. There's even one person in the church there that was, was, was in an incestuous relationship with his father's wife. And Paul had to address that and say, exercise church discipline with this guy. There's people that were a mess there. And Paul's saying, I'm coming the third time now, and I'm afraid when I come, if there's still stuff like this going on in the church, I'm going to deal with it, and I'm going to confront it, and I'm going to examine you instead of you examining me, if there's people that are still in this strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, and disturbances, if there's people living in impurity, immorality, and sensuality, we're going to examine that, we're going to deal with it. Now here's the first thing I want you to see, the first part of the test for your Christianity. Here it is. Fruit. Fruit. Jesus put it this way. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If any man abides in me, I'll abide in him. And he'll produce what? Much fruit. But apart from me, you could do nothing. Here's what Jesus is saying there. If you really have an abiding relationship with me, there's going to be fruit. Fruit. You're not going to live in immorality anymore. You're not going to live in impurity anymore. You're not going to live in debauchery anymore. You're not going to live in all these fleshly things of strife, jealousy, angry tempers, and disputes and slanders and gossip and arrogance and disturbance. There's going to be fruit. There's going to be a change there where your life has changed. Now, does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. Good luck with that. You're not going to be perfect. I've been walking with the Lord now for 40 years and I'm still a knucklehead. I still make mistakes. I still do things like kick myself with, oh, ah, I can't believe I did that. But, but, because of my abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, there's fruit. There's fruit of the Spirit. What's the, what, what's, and there's two kinds of fruit. There's inward fruit and there's outward fruit. Inward fruit is what Galatians five twenty two and 23 talks about. When you're really abiding in a relationship with Christ, he's going to be producing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in your inner man because you have the fruit of the Spirit of a relationship with Jesus Christ that's changing you to be more like him, and those fruits inwardly are growing. And then there's outward fruit. What's outward fruit? Outward fruit is Jesus says, go. Go. And preach the gospel of all creation. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Here's what's gonna happen. You start having this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ because his heart is to seek and to save that which is lost. He's gonna give you his heart and you're gonna be serious about reproducing yourself. You're gonna start becoming a contagious Christian. Each one reaching one. You're gonna start infecting other people with what you got. Because you got Jesus and you have a real relationship with him. That's real Christianity. It's not about churchianity, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ that's producing fruit. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Amen? And there's fruit. There's fruit. It's wonderful. Fruit on the inside with the fruits of the Spirit, fruit on the outside, you start, life starts becoming reproducible because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you start multiplying because of the fruit of walking with Jesus. When I was growing up, I had, um, as a kid, I had a drug problem. You know what my drug problem was? I had parents that would drug me to church every week. (laughs) Seriously. My drug problem was I got drugged to church every week. And you know why I got drugged to church every week? Because I didn't want to go. And the reason why I didn't want to go to church when I was a kid was because the church my pe- my parents were dragging me to was a dead church. How many, how many of you grew up in a dead church? I mean it was dead. It was just dead. I remember going to church with my parents and walking in that sanctuary and go, "Oh, this is the most boring hour of my week." And I'd walk into that church and they had these stone walls. They had the choir with the robes on, and no one was smiling. I felt like I was going to a funeral every week. And the music accentuated that. Just dead organ, or like this, and just dead. It was dead. And one of the reasons why it was dead wasn't just because it was a traditional church. One of the reasons why it was dead is because it was a liberal church that didn't believe in God's word, never taught God's word with authority, and never preached the gospel. And so all these people were coming to church, never were getting God's word, and never getting the gospel, and most of them weren't even saved. How did I know that? Because they were friends of my parents. And I remember, <laughs> I remember going out of the service, and they had this big foyer outside the stone uh, sanctuary, and you go to the foyer, and there was ashtrays in the foyer, because everybody, as soon as the service was over, would retreat to the foyer, and they'd all light up, smoking cigarettes and pipes and cigars in the church foyer. And then I remember going to my parents. I remember going to my parents' friends that went to church with them all the time, going to the, their house on, on, on parties and stuff like that, and we'd, they'd bring the kids with, and, every, and everybody on Friday or Saturday night in these parties before they'd all go to church together on Sunday, they'd all, all get drunk. Many of, my, many of my parents' friends were, were alcoholics. And it didn't, this church thing didn't change their lives at all. Many of them ended up getting divorces and have all kinds of problems. And listen, there was no fruit. And I didn't want anything to do with that kind of church. I wanted to run from it as fast as possible. But then I got in high school. I got in high school, and there was about 100 kids in that high school that were part of a thing called Young Life. And I, I, I got to know some of these kids. Some of them were on my uh, gymnastics team, and they, they, they were different. They were really different. They were on fire for Christ, And they talked about this relationship with Jesus Christ that had changed their lives. And I was a project for them because they were trying to lead me to this Jesus that they knew. And they did. And I remember going to their Young Life meeting the first time on a Tuesday night. It was amazing. It was 100 high school kids in a house It's a big house in Chicago, but it was a hundred kids packed into this house. You walked into this Young Life meeting, and there's three guitars. I'll never forget, guys in jeans with guitars up front, and it wasn't boring. It was was loud. You had a hundred teenage kids singing their hearts out to Jesus, and it was powerful. It was electric. You could feel the spirit in that place. I'm going, this is pretty cool. I could be a part of something like this. And I started getting involved with that. And then I remember the young life leader coming out. And the thing he did in coming out, to, after all that enthusiastic singing, he came out with a Bible. I'm going, that's pretty cool. All he's got is his Bible. It's J.B. Phillips' translation. And, he, and it was contemporary translation. And he taught us every week from God's Word, from the Gospels. And I'm, it was real. I could sense there was authority and there was power in what he was teaching. I said after a few months of that I got saved and I've never looked back since and I love church now. I, I bleed church. I, when I'm on vacation or taking time off and I'm out of town or wherever else, this is a hoppy tradition, but we're going to find a church to go to on Sunday morning because I want to find a church if I'm not in church right here. And you see the difference? There's fruit in the lives of those who have a redeeming, real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ because that that, that it, It's alive. And if you abide in Jesus, he will abide in you and he will produce much fruit. Inward fruit, outward fruit of making your life make a difference for the cause of Christ. You see that. So what's the first thing that we should test ourselves on? Fruit. And some well, kind of you say, well, that's judgmental. John, judge not lest you be judged. Hey, I'm not called to judge anybody, but we are called to be fruit inspectors. And the first person we should inspect is ourselves. Do we have a real relationship with Jesus Christ that's producing fruit? And if you don't, you're not passing the test. And then it goes on. After uh, verse 21, let's jump into 13. It says, this is the third time I'm coming to you Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I've already confronted you individually for my letter, 1 Corinthians. Now I'm coming again, and if there's still immorality, if there's still impurity, if there's still uh, living in the flesh, and you're not living for Christ, and you're naming the name of Christ, I will come with two or three witnesses, fulfill Jesus' words of church discipline, that if if someone doesn't repent, you go again with two or three witnesses and confront them again. And Paul says, I'm going to deal with it. Verse 2, I previously said, when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. In other words, I'm going to confront. Why is Paul going to confront? Because he's judgmental? No, he's going to confront because he loves them and he wants them to repent. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. We sang about that this morning, mighty to save. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of what? The power of God. For we are also, we are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Here's the second thing that we should test ourselves with. Listen, church, listen. Second thing we should test ourselves with, power. It's the power of God working in your life. Paul says it very clearly. Go back to verse 3 again. He says, he's weak towards you. He, he, no, he is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. And then in verse 4 again, he says, he lives because of the power of God, for we are also weak in him, yet we will live with him because of what? The power of God directed towards you. I like power. I, I've always liked power. I'm not talking about power of, you know, being, trying to rule over people. I, like, I just like raw, unadulterated power. That's one of the reasons why we have a fireworks show every 4th of July here at Calvary Chapel. Because, you know, it's, it's awesome. 15, 20 minutes, it's boom, booms. That, and then we end that fireworks show with like the grand finale. And it's bam, 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 bam. And it's like I just sit back, oh, that's cool. That's power. Right? I'm a motorcycle guy. I love motorcycles. And I used to have a motorcycle where you get on that thing, it's a, you can hear it a, a block away. I, until Heidi got on the back and says, I'll never ride this thing again. Now I, got a, now, now I got an old man's bike. I got one that's just kind of a cruiser that's nice and soft. But I like the other one. I like the one that, oh, like a power. I like power. I always like power. When I was a kid, we used to have M80s. Anybody remember M80s? Oh, those are things were awesome, man. They were like little sticks of dynamite. We used to stick them in the ground and watch the ground blow up, you know? If we were really bad, we'd put them in somebody's mailbox. Boom! Like that. Power. I like power. I like, I love power. Always. Always love power. But you know the great. <laughs> you know the greatest power I love. It's not the m or the fireworks or the motorcycles. My the greatest power I love. It's the power of God at work in me. Power of the Holy Spirit. Again, but you shall receive power. And it's interesting that word power in the Greek is dunamos in the in the Greek. Guess what English word we get from that dynamite. God has given us dynamite power by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you should receive dynamite power through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you shall be witnesses. Power. That's what Paul's talking about twice in there. Power of God. The power of God. He's mighty in you. He's working in your lives. Religious leaders one time were trying to go against the apostles and they arrested uh, Peter and, and John and, and, and after they arrested them, it's, it says in verse 13, now they, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and they understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were marveling and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You know what that's saying? It's saying these religious leaders said, these guys have been to seminary, they haven't been to Hebrew school, they haven't been educated, they're untrained, but there's power in their lives. They go to the temple gate, and this guy's been lame. And they say, silver and gold have we none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the guy, lame guy rises up and walks. It's power. It's power in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the second test, is the power of Christ in your life. Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to change you from the inside out? Now, again, we're not, none of us are perfect. We're all in this process But if you have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, there'll be a transforming power that's in the process of changing to be more like Jesus Christ. I remember when it happened to me 40 years ago, and I came to Christ through this Young Life group. And then I remember starting my quiet times for the first time, reading my Bible in the morning, praying through the Gospel of John, and then the Book of Romans. And then I remember going, changing my whole thing of weekends instead of going to parties and getting drunk or high, I started going to church and Bible studies, and I started getting in the Word, and I started to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And about six months in, I remember I kind of did some of this test thing. I examined my life, and I said, wow, things are different. I don't swear like a sailor anymore. Those four-letter words are gone. (laughs) I just talked like this for years. My whole vocabulary changed. And then I remember looking and examining my life too and saying, even my friends have changed. I don't want to be going out with those guys anymore and getting drunk or high. I want to go with Christians and learn about Jesus. Wow. My whole association's changed. And then I remember thinking too, my whole orientation in life, before I got saved, it was about me, 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 and then me, 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 and me, some more. And then I remember thinking, after about six months of walking with the Lord, I, I actually care about people. I love people that I didn't used to have this kind of compassion anymore. And now I have that. And the whole center of my existence changed from me being in the middle to Jesus and others being the focus. That's what the power of God does in our lives. Again, I still make mistakes. I'm still dumb dumb things. I'm still in this process. But there's power working in my life to transform me on a daily basis. And it should be in your life, too, if you're really walking with Jesus. So what's the second test? First test is fruit. Second test is what? Power. Transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That Christ is working mightily in our lives. Then verse 5 says, test yourselves to see if if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Don't you recognize this is about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you what? Fail the test. But I trust that you realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may be approved, but appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for. Look at the words here now, that you may be made what? Complete. Interesting. Remember those words, that you may be made Complete. For this reason, I'm writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use it of severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building you up, not tearing you down. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Do you know as Christians, we're supposed to be rejoicing people. Paul said Philippians Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. Is that what he said? Rejoice in the Lord when? And again, I say rejoice. We're to be rejoicing people, especially this time of year. Hey, Enough the sourpuss Christianity stuff, okay? Let's, let's live in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength, man. We're supposed to be people that rejoice always. Be made complete, Paul says. We'll do that word again. Made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, let's be a doer of the word. The person next to you, give him a... Just kidding. You could blow him a kiss if you want. Maybe do it. Go, go ahead, go do Do one of those. Okay, that's good enough. It says, "Greet one of the holy kiss." What would? What, no, just keep. Come back to church next week. We won't start this as a practice. Verse thirteen. All the saints greet you. Now Paul closes up with a benediction: the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's a southerner here. Notice how he ends here. Be with what? Y'all. Y'all come back now. Y'all. But look at the Trinity there. What characterizes Jesus? Grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus. What characterizes the Father? Love. The love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his his only one and only son. What characterizes the Holy Spirit? Fellowship. Because he's in you. And he he brings fellowship with God into our lives. Because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But here's the last thing. Last part of the test. You ready, church? First thing, test yourself, fruit. Is there fruit in your lives? Inward fruit, outward fruit, because you walk with Jesus. Second thing, what was it? Power. Is there a transforming power that's changing you from glory to glory into his image? Here's the third thing. Very important. Are you in the process of being made complete? Paul reemphasizes or emphasizes that twice. He talks about, go back again. He says in verse nine, but you are, strong, uh, you are strong, this we also pray for, that you be made, what, complete. And then verse 11, finally, brethren, rejoice and be made complete. Now that completion, that's the third thing that happens in the life of someone who has an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. You are in the process of being made complete in Christ. Paul actually said in Philippians 1.6, we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The word there, perfect, can also be translated. Another translation says that he will carry to completion the good work that he has begun in you. And so the third thing that happens in someone who has an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ is you're in this process of day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, God is making you complete. He's changing you. Each one of us, as we walk with Jesus, we should be able to look back on the year before and say, hey, I'm a little bit further down the road because I walk with Jesus. He's changing me. He's making me a different person day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Are you in that process? The Bible says as we behold his face, 2 Corinthians 3.18, he changes us from glory to glory into his image. And that's a part of walking with Jesus is is he is perfect representation of the image of, of God and then he starts putting the image of God back in us. See, each of us was created in God's image, right? But sin has marred that. Sin has scarred God's image in us. And as we walk with Jesus, he changes us from glory to glory back into the image that we were created for and created in. It's beautiful. As we behold his face in this real relationship with him, There's this power of changing us and making us complete in Him. Now again, please, 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 don't get this impression that if you walk with Jesus, you're going to be perfect. That you're just in process. You're just a Christian under construction. We should all wear these little signs, Christian under construction. But we're in process. We're in this process of being more and more like Him. We're in this process of being made complete in Him. And praise God, you know, we're, yes, we're not what we're supposed to be yet, but praise God, we're not what we used to be, right? And we have the hope one day of being fully completed in Christ. Bible tells us that when we see Christ, the completion will be done. Listen to what it says in First John chapter 3, verse 2 about this. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared as what we will be, but we know that when he appears... When is that? The rapture. We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. It's wonderful. Soon and very soon, we're going to see our king. And when we see our king, we're going to be perfectly conformed into his image, and we're going to be complete for the rest of eternity. And these mortal bodies will take on immortality. These perishable bodies will become imperishable. The sin nature will be Gone, and will be made perfectly complete in him. But before that happens, our job as followers of Christ is to have this abiding relationship where we're beholding his face on a daily basis. By the way, church, that's why it's so important to have a daily quiet time, a daily time where you start your day or end your day in God's word and pray and seek his face because that's when he changes you. Talk about fruit. You can't have fruit apart from that abiding ongoing, I think, daily relationship with Christ where you're spending time with Him and letting Him change you. I, grew, I spent 10 years in Southern California. One of the things I love to do is drive through Orange County, California, because this was back in the day, there were still orange fields, orange orchards in Southern California. Now it's all freeways and cement and a lot of cars. But they still had orange orchards when I was out there in the 80s. I remember driving past some of these orange orchards and funniest thing, you drive past these orange orchards and they'd all be going, you could hear the trees. The trees would be going, ugh, ugh. And that's how they'd grow the oranges because they were they're getting those oranges out. Some of you are going, what are you, nuts? <laughs> no, I'm making a point. <laughs> were those orange trees growing fruit because they were going, oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to get fruit. Urgh! I'm going to have a new New Year's resolution. I'll be different. Uh!" No those orange trees were were growing fruit because they were being watered. And they were were being irrigated. And as you are washed by the water of God's word, and as you're rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, and you have good roots going into that relationship with Jesus Christ, there will be fruit. You don't have to be going, I'm going to change. I tried that before I got saved, by the way. I tried, I was a seeker before I came to Christ. I tried to change, I really did. I, I, I went with all the you know, self-help books I could find before I came to Christ. I did PMA. Remember PMA? Positive mental attitude. What the mind of man believes he can achieve. And I tried to change, and it just didn't work. And then this is back in the 70s. And I, 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 tried, I, tried, I tried TM, Transcendental Meditation, and I could never get my knees to go up in the position. You're um, like this, you know. It's just none of that stuff worked. Nothing changed me. And then I came to Christ. And when I came to Christ and had that relationship with Christ again, I said six months into it, I go, man, I'm different. There's fruit, there's power. There's this completing process I'm in because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? So here's a question Did you pass the test? Is there fruit in your life? Is there power in your life? Are you in this completing process where you're seeing changes happening because God's transforming you on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? Amen. I'm gonna give you, i want to end this with shotgun, or not shotgun, a machine gun approach, okay? And I'm gonna give you a number of other things that will help you determine fruit or power or completion. A number of other things that will, that will be in your life if you have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, chief on the list, number one, love. Jesus said, by this, all men will know you are my disciples by your, going to Calvary Chapel. All, <laughs> no, Jesus said in John, in, in John chapter 13, verse 35, all men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. That's what we have over here. Our chief thing we're trying to teach you is to love God and love people, man. Love will be in your life through a relationship with Christ because Jesus is all about love. Evangelism will be in your life. If you're, if you're really walking with Jesus, he said, follow me again. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Each one, reaching one, will be happening because you walk with Jesus who has a heart to seek and to save that which is lost. The other thing that will be in your life is the fear of death will start dissipating because Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now, does that mean you don't grieve over loved ones dying? Or No, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we believe there is a paradise and there's a heaven like we talked about last week. Another thing that will happen in your life that if you have this abiding relationship, part of the fruit will be a whole different view on money. Matthew 6, 621 says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And when you have your heart in heaven, what happens is your resources start becoming God's resources because you're just managing it for 70, 80 years and you want to send someone to the head by being a good steward of what God's blessed you with, Right? Your resources, different perspective on that as you walk with Jesus. Hey, the Bible, have a whole different view of the Bible if you have a real relationship with Christ. Because 1 Peter 2 2 says, like newborn babes, you're going to long for the pure milk of the Word that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. Kind of a different view on worship too. You're going to start having your lips become a place where the sacrifice of praise is continually coming from your lips, as Hebrews 13, 15 talks about. Because that's, that's just what Jesus does in your heart when you have a relationship. Then you become a worshiper. You're gonna have a different view on church. Like I said, I used to hate church until I came to Christ and found a church that taught God's word and preached the gospel. Now I love it. I'm, I'm a church addict. I gotta, I gotta be in church, man. It's my source for life, for strength. For fellowship, prayer, different view on prayer. If you have a relationship with Christ, you're going to, as David said, you're going to, as the deer panted for the water brook, so my soul panteth for thee, O oh God. You're going to want to be a person of prayer because that's your lifeline to this relationship with Jesus Christ. You're going to have a different view on prompting, too, on leadership. You're going to be people that trust in the Lord with all your heart, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and lean not on in your own understanding. In all your ways, you're going to acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. You're gonna be spirit-filled, spirit-led Christians that say, I'm gonna walk in the Spirit, and I'm gonna get the promptings of the Spirit to guide and to lead my life. Because I want to go God's way and not just my way. Promptings of the Holy Spirit will be part of that relationship with Christ. And lastly, hey, this is just top of the list was important. This bottom thing on the list for fruit is very important too. Holiness. Jesus said, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you see that? When you're seeing God and having intimacy with God, he's going to put in your heart a purity. Now, does that mean perfection? No. You still have battles with the flesh, but it means you're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. You have a heart that wants to be holy. Amen? Amen. Amen, church. Tough test, huh? Hey, I want to encourage you here this morning, if you're not passing, (laughs) if you you are honest and say, I don't pass this test at all, it might be because you need to cross the line of faith. It might be because you need to receive Christ. You can't pass the test unless you have this relationship established and started. I encourage you this morning, if you want to do that, I'll give you an opportunity in the prayer time. All you need to do is admit that you need Jesus, trust Him to be your Savior, and then receive him in your heart. The Bible says, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And that's the beginning point of what we're talking about this morning, a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't got it, get it. What is that commercial, got milk? <laughs> hey, here's my question, you got Jesus? Do you got Jesus? If you don't get it, It'll be the best decision you'll ever make to receive Christ. It's the, I, I did it 40 years ago. Looking back, I've never regretted opening my heart to God's love and receiving Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. It changed my life, and it changed my life way for the better. doesn't mean there's not struggles or troubles anymore once you receive Christ, but it means you got someone to help you to be your fortress, your rock, your delivery, your strength, and your help when troubles come. So let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning, God. Thank you, God, that you remind us in your word of, of faith. And we, if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Thank you, God, that our faith is established and strengthened and built up through the teaching of your word, God. We don't live, again, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from our mouth. And Father, help us to be Christians that are seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness so you can add all things unto us, Lord. Help us to be Christians that are, have this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ to the point there's fruit and there's power and there's this sense of process where you bring into completion the good work that you've begun on us through Christ. Help us to be people, Lord, that are, are on a daily basis Seeking your face, God, through your word and through prayer. Help us to to be in your presence, not just on Sundays, on Sunday morning, but during the week, Lord. Help us to be people that are reading good Christian books and reading your word and praying and beginning and ending our days in this relationship with you. And then praying throughout the day. As your word says, pray without ceasing. Help us to be cultivating this ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that that's what changes us. That's what produces fruit. That's what produces power. And that's what produces completion in our life. Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that needs to start that relationship. Jesus, I just sense you might be knocking on the heart of some people this morning and saying, I want to come into your heart. I want to forgive your sin. I want to give you this life that could be so much better with me than without me. Christians, be praying right now. And if you're here this morning, and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'll lead you in a prayer right now, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, pray for me so that I can begin this relationship with Christ. Pray for me that I might confess Christ as my Lord today so that I might be saved. If you want me to pray for you right now to do that, to receive Christ, here's what I want you to do. Just raise your hand, and I'll pray for you right now. If you need to receive Christ, praise the Lord right here in the center. Right here in the back. Keep your hands up, gentlemen. Right here in the middle, praise the Lord. Best decision you've ever made. Praise the Lord. Anybody else this morning? Just raise your hand, and I'd love to pray for you this morning. Keep your hands up, those that raise their hand. Oh, a lady back here in the middle. Praise the Lord. Okay. All right, now, those that have their hands raised, I want you to be bold, and I want you to do this. I'm gonna gonna pray for you just one second, but I want you to stand up so I can pray for you. Go ahead and stand up. Don't Don't be ashamed to stand up for Jesus. Go ahead and stand up, and I'd love to pray for you this morning. Praise the Lord. All right, pray this prayer out loud. In church, you could pray with them. Pray this prayer out loud. It's a sinner's prayer. Just pray this after me. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Lord Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Lord Jesus, be my Savior and be my Lord, and I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand, church. Give these people a hand that made this decision this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.